What's up, beautiful people? Welcome back to the Made to Excel Fitness Podcast, the fitness podcast for you, by you. I'm your host, as always, Mark Torres. And in today's episode, episode nine, it's all about exercise selection and the order in which you should be doing your exercises. Let's talk about it. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the show. Today is Monday, May 4th. May the 4th be with you. Happy Star Wars Day to you guys out there. I've got my Luke, I am your spotter shirt on, so I'm feeling real festive. Uh, Definitely after this is over, I'm going to sit my ass down in front of a TV, get a Disney Plus, uh, and watch the first episode of the the behind-the-scenes documentary on The Mandalorian. I'm sure some of you guys out there will be partaking in Star Wars content as well. But before you do that, listen to this episode, listen to this podcast, fill your brain with some fitness knowledge, and then go on about your day. Uh, Should be a great day for you guys. Um, Like I said in the intro, this podcast episode is about the order in which you should be doing your exercises. And there's kind of three strategies to think about. And I'll go into further detail on these strategies on the website, mtufit.com, on Wednesday uh, with the article that comes out accompanying this podcast. So uh, the three strategies that I talk about today will be in that episode, and hopefully we'll go into some further detail uh, that I can't necessarily convey in this podcast. Uh, Probably easier to read some of them. But without further ado, we're going to hop into the three strategies. Uh, So you go into the gym. There's tons of different exercises you can do. There's tons of machines, tons of uh, dumbbells, barbells laying around, things of that nature. What is the first thing that you should do? Well, first and foremost, before we implement any strategy whatsoever, the first thing you should be doing is warming up. Uh, And a proper warm-up, five to ten minutes, uh, dynamic warm-up, stretching, whatever you have to do. Um, If you're a person who is susceptible to injury, you probably have to um, warm up a little bit more than others, right? Just to try to prevent further injury uh, to prevent any future injury for yourself. It'll allow you to move better. It'll allow you to perform better. Uh, all these fun things. So warming up is super duper important. Um, I am notoriously bad when it comes to warming up. It's one of my, uh, things that I have to work on. Um, you know, this is a do as I say, not as I do kind of scenario. Um, but even for me, if I don't do a full blown, a full blown five to 10 minute warm up, um, I'm not, you're never going to see me go right into, um, a crazy workout, um, and just jump right into the thick of it. If I'm going to do a bench press on that day, I'm going to take a really light bench press uh, and take a couple sets as warm-up sets in order to get my muscles prepared um, for the benching that I'm going to do on that particular day, right? So I'm not the best pe- I'm not the best person um, to take advice from when it comes to warming up, but warming up is going to be super imperative, and that should be the first thing that you do. So outside of the three strategies, the first thing you should do inside the gym, or if you're still at home under quarantine, working out at home, take a warm-up. Give yourself five, 10 minutes. It's gonna do wonders for you in the long run. Um, and it's gonna help you prevent yourself from injuring yourself. So thing number one is is always warm up. But, you know, I digress. Uh, so strategy number one when it comes to exercise selection is uh, starting off with compound exercises and finishing off with isolation exercises. Um, so a compound exercise is simply just an exercise that works more muscle groups, uh, more than just one muscle group at a time, right? Um, so something like a squat, a deadlift, uh, a bench press, a glute bridge, a pull-up. These are all exercises that work multiple muscle groups all in the same time. Um, and the reason you might want to do these first is that it takes a ton of energy when you're using all these different muscle groups to perform a movement. It takes a ton of energy uh, to carry out this movement, right? So um, if you put them all the way at the front where you've got all the energy that you're going into the workout with, you're at full capacity. Um, you have all the energy 
to start off with to perform that movement properly and to perform that movement well, right? As opposed to doing it at the end where you're tired um, and you might not have that much gas left in the tank, right? So putting that up front is going to help you um, perform that movement really well, right? And an isolation movement is an exercise that only works one muscle group at a time, right? So classic isolation movement is a bicep curl, right? Bicep curl, you're only working the bicep, right? If you find that you're kind of cheating the bicep curl a little bit, you're swinging a little bit, then it might turn into a little bit of a compound movement, but a classic, um, you know, uh, really clean bicep curl is a perfect example of an isolation movement, right? Anything tricep isolation movement as well. Those are things that don't take as much energy, so you can put them at the end of your workout. So even when you're a little bit gassed, you can still perform these movements efficiently, right? You don't have to have that much energy that much energy to perform these movements because they don't take as much energy as a compound movement does, right? So doing your compound movements first, getting that out of the way, using uh, the max amount of energy that you can on that compound movement, and then moving on, going forward from there, is gonna you know bode really well for you when it comes to uh, performance, right? And being able to do um, a lot of work in a short amount of time with those compound movements, right? So um, you know if you're a, a power lifter in any sort of way, shape, or form, which I'm assuming a lot of you aren't, um, but the main three power lifts, the main three power lifting lifts are the bench, the deadlift, and the squat, right? So um, those are the three kind of quintessential power lifts, and they're uh, they're you know classic, classic examples of compound movements. But even if you're not a power lifter, you're probably still doing some sort of variation of those three movements, right? Just because you're not barbell back squatting doesn't mean you're not doing a goblet squat. Same thing, still a compound movement, right? If you're not barbell deadlifting, you're probably still picking up something from the ground in some sort of hip hinge, some sort of variation of that, still a deadlift variation. It's still very much so a compound movement. And if you're not barbell bench pressing, um, you know, you're still doing a chest press machine or pressing dumbbells or whatever the case may be. That's also um, some form of uh, uh, compound movement in comparison to a bench press, right? So compound movement takes a ton of uh, energy to do so. So if you think about it, like the deadlift is probably, um, you know, example number one when it comes to compound movement, you're using your back, you're using your core, you're using your uh, quads, hamstrings, glutes, calves, um, you know, you kind of run the gambit. It's almost a full body exercise um, when it comes to a deadlift. So you can see how it takes a lot of energy to perform that deadlift versus a bicep curl, right? So um, starting up front with your compound lifts and then finishing off your isolation lifts is a really good idea. And side note, combining exercises does not make it a compound lift, right? When I was looking up different compound exercises, just to kind of have a different idea if there's things out there that I might've missed, I saw some people were like, you know, doing a reverse lunge with a bicep curl is considered a compound. It's No, it's not because a bicep curl is a classic isolation movement, so just pairing it with something else doesn't make it a compound movement, right? So, um, you know, like I said, isolation movements take a lot less energy, so you can't bicep curl as much as you can reverse lunge. So if you're gonna add a bicep curl to your reverse lunge, you have to use a really light weight because you can only bicep curl so much. So if you're using a weight that you can bicep curl, you're taking away from the fact that you can reverse lunge a lot more weight, right? So just separating those and doing them separately uh, makes a lot more sense than just adding them together. So, right? so don't combining exercises together doesn't make it a compound movement. So classic compound exercises, um, good to go. But adding things together, that doesn't count. So compound movements first, isolation movements towards the end. Strategy number one. Strategy number two, 
starting off with big muscle groups, moving towards small muscle groups, right? And this is almost in the same vein as the compound movements versus the isolation movements. There's a lot of overlap that goes with these, um, but starting off with the big muscle groups because they take a lot of energy. Uh, so you want to go into using uh, all the energy that you can, all the energy that you have at the beginning of a workout towards these big muscle groups is going to go a long way. Um, in helping you perform better, right? And then saving uh, whatever energy you have towards the end of the workout for smaller muscle groups that don't need as much energy, right? So um, that's definitely a different way to go about it. And it almost runs kind of parallel with the compound movement and isolation movement, right? So, um, you know, the biggest muscle groups, right? Number one is the quadriceps. And when I say muscle groups, the quadricep is a group of muscles that kind of have the same function, but there's different muscles in the quadricep group, right? So uh, the quadricep is just the front of your leg. And you can, you can kind of refer to that as one cohesive unit, but there are four different muscles that make up the quadricep group, right? You've got uh, the rectus femoris, the vastus intermedius, the vastus lateralis, and the vastus medialis. Those are the four muscle groups that make up the quadricep, um, but just that muscle group alone is the biggest muscle group in the body. Uh, and then you've got your glutes. Uh, number three is calves. You might not, you know, it might not seem that way, but the calves are the third biggest muscle group. Shout out Johnny Drama. Uh, if you've never seen Entourage, that reference went way over your head. I highly recommend it. Great show. Um, but calves are actually the third biggest muscle group. And then fourth is the hamstrings, right? Same thing. That's a muscle group. There's different muscles in the hamstring group, um, but hamstrings rounds out the top four. So interestingly enough, the top four muscle groups in terms of size are in your lower body, which makes total sense when you think about it. Um, because you're constantly using your lower body muscles, right? Standing up, sitting down, walking around, going for a hike, going for a jog. All these things are lower body focused, right? You don't have to necessarily use your body, your upper body as much for these things. So the top four are lower body muscles, right? Which makes sense why the calves are number three, because just walking around, think about all the times you're flexing your foot, that's working your calves, even though you're not in the gym doing calf raises like you should be, you know who you are, um, then you know, you're know you still using your calves a ton. So they are getting developed um, just on your day-to-day -day, uh, basis, just walking around. So top four are actually lower body muscles. And then number five is the delts, your shoulders. That's actually eight muscles that comprise a shoulder. The pecs and the muscles of the back um, are all kind of relatively similar in size. You can classify the back as one big muscle group, but there's different ways to train the upper back, the mid back, and the lower back, so it's easier to kind of just separate them. Uh, and then by far the smallest is the triceps, and then bicep is definitely the smallest. So um, thinking about using your big muscle groups first because they take the most energy, and then working, way, working your way down to the smaller muscle groups that don't require as much energy, right? And this will be dictated upon how your workouts are set up, right? If you're a person who does full body workouts, then you might look at this and say, all right, I've got to do lower body stuff first and then work towards upper body stuff because my lower body is going to take more energy. Um, but you, if you have an upper body day and a lower body day, um, then you can potentially break it down as doing quadriceps first, then glutes, then calves and hamstrings if you want to do it like that. Um, or if you have an upper body day, you know, it kind of goes out the window a little bit because everything is kind of on a level playing field when it comes to upper body. Um, <clears throat> but that's where you can kind of revert back to number one and say, I'm going to do a compound movement for, let's say, my chest and then work towards isolating different parts of the chest towards the end of the workout, right? So if you do a flat dumbbell chest press, 
um, that is a kind of an overall pec exercise versus when you do it in an incline, you're um, targeting a specific part of the chest and that becomes a little bit of a more of an isolation movement. So um, you can kind of start to revert back to number one when it comes to that scenario, right? So depending on how your workout is set up will dictate how you can effectively use the second strategy of uh, tackling bigger muscle groups first and then going down to the smaller muscle groups. So, um, and when you think about it, when it comes to like the smallest muscle group being the bicep, the bicep curl is probably your weakest lift, right? If you think about it, you could probably bicep curl a lot less than you can do any other movement. Um, so it just takes less energy, right? So putting that towards the end um, makes a ton of sense when it comes to picking the exercise or, or the order of your exercises that you're gonna do on any particular day. So strategy number two, big muscle groups to small muscle groups. And last but not least, strategy number three is putting your weak spots first. Now, this one goes against the grain literally of strategy one and two, right? Strategy one and two, you wanna save all your energy for big compound movements, for big muscle groups, and then work your way down versus if you have a weak spot that you particularly wanna work on, right? Let's say you have a, uh, a weak chest, right? Myself in particular, uh, I've got a very weak, small chest. I could potentially prioritize my chest despite the fact that it doesn't need as much energy as something like my legs do and put it in the very beginning of my workout because I want to focus all my energy and attention on that because that is my priority in that moment, right? So if you have any specific weakness that you want to work on, you could potentially move that to the front where you've got the most energy at the beginning of your workout to kind of attack that uh, and to prioritize that in that moment, right? So if you have a weak spot, you could potentially move that forward and use that in terms of um, picking your order of your exercises, right? So if you have something you really want to work on, really want to focus on, move it to the front and then kind of go back to one and two and start to um, organize everything from there, right? So strategy number one, compound movement, end with isolation movement. Strategy number two, start with big muscle groups, work to small muscle groups. And strategy number three, put your weaknesses first, right? At the very beginning of your workout is where you have your most energy. So whatever you wanna focus on at the beginning, uh, whatever you wanna focus on mostly, put it at the beginning. However, that ends up working out for you. Everybody's got different goals. Everybody's got different tastes. Everybody's got different, you know, motivations to doing uh, their workouts, right? So always keep that in mind. Um, so those are your three strategies to picking the order of your exercises. I will go into even more detail on the article on mtefit.com this Wednesday that accompanies this podcast, right? So that's the three strategies um, for picking the order of your exercises, right? And as always, we got a little Q&A here. Uh, so question number one is how accurate are the steps on my smartwatch, right? So uh, this is a good question. So got a smartwatch, right? Um, whatever smartwatch you have. So think about this. The smartwatch is on your wrist. So what the smartwatch is doing is it is banking on the momentum of your arm swinging when you're walking around, when you're running outside, whatever the case may be. Uh, and they're using that as the basis for which they count steps, right? So if you're a person who is uh, very animated with your hands when you're talking or you're doing a lot of stuff with your hands, right? If you're watching the YouTube video, you can see that I'm doing a lot of stuff with my hands. If you're listening to this, you can't see this. But imagine I'm talking with my hands a lot. Um, you've got to be cognizant of the fact that that counts towards your steps, right? So um, there are studies out there that say like step counters can be off by as much as 50%. So if you are shooting for the golden step count of 10,000, you could potentially really only be walking 5,000 steps a day and still um, get 10,000 steps on your Apple Watch, your Fitbit, whatever. Um, but keep that in mind, but keep in mind that if you're a person who's relatively active, right, and you go for a big hike, um, odds are, your smartwatch is relatively uh, um, 
accurate in that moment, right? Because you're actually walking around um, and you're actually taking steps and it's relatively, uh, does a relatively decent job when you're doing that, right? There are times where I'm bored at work and I'm pacing around and I will look at my watch. I'll see how many steps it says I have, walk around, count those steps and see like what the, what the watch tells me my steps are at that moment. And it's usually pretty good, right? So um, depends on your situation, right? If you're a person who sits down and plays Call of Duty for six hours, you get up, you do a 15 minute workout, and then you go back to Call of Duty and you look at your watch and you have 10,000 steps, you know that there's a big disconnect there. Um, and you probably are, are way off when it comes to that number. But if you're a person who went for a big hike, you went for a long walk around the block, uh, and you've got a, a decently high number, then odds are it was relatively accurate in that instance. Um, you know, but don't use this thing as gospel. Use this thing as kind of a, a little bit of a north star for you um, to work towards something. But know that it's not 100% perfect, but depending on your situation, it could be relatively uh, accurate and relatively good at telling you just about how many steps you're taking in a day. It all depends. Question number two, why do you have such a man crush on Will Smith? He's the man. He's the man. Like, I don't know what to tell you. He's the man. Um, I don't know when I first started watching The Fresh Prince. It might have been like before school. It was on TV at times. Um, man, but that, that show is like one of the best shows of all time. And it's probably my favorite show of all time. Hence why I've got a crush on Will Smith. Plus the, the, first, uh, the first batch of movies coming out at the gate. Dude was on fire. Um, you know, um, Men in Black. Independence Day, Wild Wild West, say what you want about it, but it's still a, you know, it's still a hit in my book. Um, but yeah, I mean, Will Smith can't do no wrong in my book. Granted, I haven't seen Gemini Man yet, but you know, that's neither here nor there. Don't kill me over it. Uh, question number three, what is the best protein on the market today? Shit, I don't know. Um, I couldn't tell you the last time I took protein. I couldn't tell you the last time I took any supplement in general. Um, if I had to guess, Listen, reviews are out there for a reason. Um, read the reviews. If the reviews are relatively good, if it's a, a known brand, if it's a trusted seller, I would say you're probably uh, pretty well off. Um, you know, don't buy protein from a sketchy website um, just because it has like a jacked T-Rex on it with like an eight pack and like a stringer tank on, right? Um, you know, maybe buy that protein because the marketing is just fantastic, but you know, I can't guarantee that there was probably not steroids in that protein, but you know, buying from a reputable seller, buying from a well-known brand, you're probably pretty well off, but I, I'm probably the wrong person to ask for this. I don't really know specifically. Uh, and last but not least, how often do you have cheat meals? So I do not have cheat meals or cheat days um, for the reason that the moment you start to relegate things that you consider to be cheat foods to specific meals or specific days, what you end up doing is you put a stigma on that food as being forbidden, right? I can't eat this until Sunday. Sunday's my cheat day, so I can't eat this until Sunday. That thing is now forbidden. And the moment you make something forbidden is the moment you want it more, right? So uh, as opposed to relegating things to certain times, I will go through on a situation to situation basis uh, and I'll make my decision there, right? So um, I think I know my body well enough to know that there are definitely stretches of time where I overeat, right? I have a notoriously bad sweet tooth. So there are times where I overeat sweets like a lot, right? Ice cream, cookies, donuts, things of that nature. Um, but since I don't ever get to the point where I don't allow myself to have those things, I find that the overeating periods happen less than if I were to just cut it out altogether, right? So 
For example, I've been eating a lot of Ben and Jerry's lately, and you look at the pint, you're like, that's a lot of ice cream. I'm not gonna finish this all in one sitting, but then you eat half of it and you look inside and you're like, there's not that much left, I might as well finish it. And I've polished off my fair share of Ben and Jerry's pints uh, since the quarantine started. And I can recognize that maybe it's getting a little bit out of hand. So as opposed to cutting off Ben and Jerry's altogether and saying, I'm not gonna eat Ben and Jerry's for two weeks, I will just be cognizant of that fact going forward. If I really wanna eat Ben and Jerry's, I will eat Ben and Jerry's, but I'll maybe eat a third of the tub or a third of the pint or half of the pint, whatever the case may be. I'll make a better decision when it comes to that Ben and Jerry's in that moment, right? And there will be times where I say, you know, I really want Ben and Jerry's, but I'm just gonna hold off because I've overdone it too, too much. Um, but for the most part, I don't uh, deny myself any of the things that I wanna eat, right? And I, if there's something that you really wanna eat, go ahead and eat it. If the majority of your diet, if the majority of your nutrition is on point um, and you're in a caloric deficit, if you're trying to lose weight, you know, eating one thing that you would consider a cheat food one time doesn't make it so that you're knocking yourself out of making progress. Um, you know, if you're doing it often and a lot, then you can put yourself in a bit of a pickle when it comes to your weight. But for the most part, you know, you're in relatively good shape, right? So, um, you know, finding myself relegating sp specific foods to a certain meal or a certain day, I feel like doing that would make my periods of overeating come far more often than if I just kind of went through it um, and never denied myself anything. So, um, you know, The Rock has his epic cheat meals and they look fantastic and they look really cool and he's got big stacks of pancakes or whatever. Um, but he's the kind of person where he's got deadlines to meet, he's got physique goals to meet for specific roles and things of that nature. So he has to be very much so on point versus myself, versus you guys out there listening. Um, you know, we don't have any roles coming up where we have to have a six pack. So uh, you probably don't need to put yourself in a situation where you have cheat meals and cheat days. Um, if you want to eat something, eat it as long as it's not becoming the majority of your diet, as long as you're not overdoing it from time to time. Just make better decisions going forward and you won't have to um, have cheat meals and cheat days. So hopefully that worked out. Hopefully that, uh, that makes sense. Um, but that wraps up today's show. Three strategies for exercise, order selection, Q&A wrapped up in the book. Um, article accompanying this podcast will be out on Wednesday on mtefit.com. Happy Star Wars Day to you guys all out there. Uh, I had a, I was thinking about buying a baby Yoda Funko Pop, but uh, you know it wasn't going to get here in time. So, um, you know, I just got my shirt on today. So, if you guys enjoyed today's show, hit the subscribe button, uh, leave a review, leave a comment, share the show. I appreciate you all. Follow me on Instagram. Follow me on Facebook. Find me on YouTube if you're not watching this on YouTube already. I appreciate you all. I love you all. I'll see you guys in the next one. Peace.